0: Support for this podcast comes from you. And Biogen, committed to transforming the treatment of neurological disease, Biogen is working to develop life-changing therapies for people with multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, ALS, and spinal muscular atrophy. Biogen.com slash science. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through ConnectInvest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com slash CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. James Truslow Adams is probably not a name that most of us have ever heard, but he coined a term that I'm guessing you know. Adams was a historian in the early part of the 20th century, and he wrote a book that tried to capture the essence of America. And part of that essence, he said, was three simple words three words that way outlived him and that have shaped the way that people all around the world think about this country the American dream since Adams came up with that phrase people have wondered who owns the American dream where it's headed is it dead Scott Gilmore says it isn't dead at all it's alive and well and it's living in Canada Gilmore is a former Canadian diplomat he's a columnist for Maclean's and a contributor to the Boston Globe and he's author of the essay the American dream has moved to Canada Scott thanks for being here it's my pleasure so when did you start thinking that Canada was maybe more of a home for the American dream than America?
1: Well, it was very recently. Um, my family has deep American roots. My parents live in the States. My, my brother works in the in the States. I have worked back and forth in New York for years. And I have always seen America as being the American dream. It's It's the land of opportunity. It's where great ideas go to to thrive. And then we had this strange thing happen in Canada over uh, over the last few months, which is we've got refugees arriving on our southern border,
0: Hmm.
1: which has almost never happened before. And they're either refugees who have already arrived in the United States and now are feeling threatened and have decided to try their luck in Canada. They feel they might be safer there. Or increasingly... It's economic migrants and refugees coming from Central America, who are making their way, as we've seen for decades, north up across the Rio Grande in the United States. But they keep going now; Hmm. they're going, they're they're walking into Canada. And so I decided to take a look one day at what their life will look like in Canada versus the United States, and I was surprised at what I found.
0: Hmm. So. Obviously, in America, uh, there are different views on people immigrating, refugees coming here. Is Canada concerned about immigrants coming over their southern border?
1: There's a debate in Canada, but the level of concern is much lower than what you see in the United States or in Europe. And what makes that particularly interesting is that I think in the United States right now, 11% of the population is foreign-born. In Canada, it's 20%. Um, And it's the same when you compare Canada to to Europe. We have far more foreign-born citizens or or non-citizens in Canada than than most other countries. And yet, we're much, much more accepting of the idea of taking in newcomers and refugees and asylum seekers and immigrants. Canada has set up a system uh, where you have two types of refugees, basically. You have refugees that are accepted by the government, and then you have refugees that are sponsored by Canadian citizens. So if you get five people together, you can sponsor somebody from Syria to come to Canada, and you're responsible at that point to make sure that you know that they know that they buy their winter clothes, that they set up a mm-hmm. bank account and that. And what we found is that with the the refugees that are coming in under the government program, um, they're they're being looked after the Canadian welfare system to the extent that it that it's needed is used. And they have a relatively difficult time as newcomers integrating. A relatively um, difficult time. A relatively difficult time okay. in, in the Canadian context. They still integrate much, much better than what we're seen in places in Europe, in Germany, Netherlands, or in parts of the United States. Canada in, is not a melting pot, it's a mosaic, and, and we tend to absorb other cultures and other peoples um, in, in, in a smoother fashion. But what's interesting is that the refugees that are being sponsored by Canadian citizens are thriving. Um, they're integrating very very quickly it's because they immediately are being plugged into social networks that that usually transcend their language or cultural group Um, they're having an easier time finding jobs easier time finding housing and there it's turning into quite a success story
0: Hmm. okay so this is super interesting to me that if you get together you're saying with like four of your friends you can sponsor somebody to come over from Syria how many ordinary Canadians are getting together and doing that kind of thing
1: Um, The demand is greater than the supply. Uh, There are more Canadians that are stepping up than the government's willing to actually allow in. And I think it's because it it plays on a couple of Canadian um, touchstones. So in the the boat people crisis of the 1970s, Canada took in a a large number of Vietnamese and other South Asian um, refugees. And they integrated very, very well across the country and became part of the Canadian story. And so, this idea of taking a refugee into your suburban community, your or your your uh, you know your rural small town, that wasn't so alien, it wasn't so strange. It seemed like something that Canadians do.
0: Hmm. You know, I, I talked about um, James Adams in the beginning, the guy who came up with this uh, this phrase, the American Dream. He he thought that dream was about mobility, that you could essentially come from anywhere with any background, um, and succeeding in America was a lot more about talent than, say, you know, he thought about old Europe, and it was much more about station, let's say, and money and that kind of thing. Um, how do you define the American dream, or or we could say the Canadian dream, but, but like, what the dream is uh, now in today's world for, success and, and inclusion the, the way that, you know, we think of the American dream?
1: You know, I think that the, the, the public imagination of the American dream has been fairly consistent in both the United States and, and Canada and the world going back 100 years. It's the idea of going from rags to riches, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, self-made man, all of those cliches right. um, embody this idea that you're right, no matter who you are, or, or where you come from or who your parents are, that you could end up one day like Steve Jobs mm. or Donald Trump. Right. And Steve Jobs, I, who, interestingly,
0: the son of a Syrian.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And Donald Trump, the grandson of a, of a German. Right, right. When I began to see these refugees coming across the border and I began to take a look at some of these numbers of, you know, what will their life be like in Canada versus the United States, I began to look at the idea of opportunity and social mobility. And I was stunned at what I found, which is that social mobility in the United States has declined. And more importantly, it's been surpassed by a lot of other countries in Europe and in Canada. So right now, if you're living or born into the poorest quintile, the the poorest one-fifth of the population, you're twice as likely to make it to the top of the the food chain to become the the top quintile for wealth in Canada than you are in the United States. And similarly, the correlation between the income that your parents make and the income that you eventually make is twice as strong in the United States as it is in Canada.
0: Hmm. Was there a point at which Canada and America started to diverge? Where do you see that happening? When?
1: So as an outside observer, I've spent a lot of time in the United States and, and traveled across it quite extensively. But I still will put an asterisk on my observations. I'm, I'm, I'm not living in the United States. I'm not American. And so these are upside observations. But to the outsider, it the differentiation began with the healthcare issues and education issues. You see in the United States a healthcare system that's unlike anything else in the world, where more money is spent on it with fewer with poorer outcomes than anywhere else. So Americans' um, life expectancy used to lead the world. It's now fallen far behind most other countries, in Cuba, including countries like Cuba. The cost of your education, this used to be the great leveler in the United States, now Education comes with very, very high costs. And so from my perspective, what you're seeing in the United States is that there are some systemic issues that are making it more and more difficult for the poor to succeed, because whether it's healthcare costs that are bankrupting somebody who's living on $35,000 a year and breaks their leg, and and that alone prevents them from making their mortgage payments. Mm or their inability to put their kid into a good school because they simply can't get the student loans or they can't carry the tuition costs. That has a huge impact, I think, on the overall health of the society.
0: You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller and I'm talking with Scott Gilmore, a former Canadian diplomat and author of the column, The American Dream Has Moved to Canada. Do you think that there are particular policies that Canada has enacted over the last few decades, say, um, and it can be more recent if you want, um, that you think were have paid off in a way that um, hasn't allowed it to, you know, in your words, kind of capture the American dream maybe a little bit more than than America has?
1: Well, for example, Canada has a very conservative banking regulatory system. And as a result, it's much more difficult for our banks to issue subprime loans. Hmm. And as a result, we escaped the economic collapse that we, that we saw in, in other countries. And our poor parts of our society were not as badly affected as a result. But I wouldn't give too much credit to Canadian policymakers uh, having some sort of special wisdom. I think a lot of the differences that we're seeing between Canada and the United States have to do with luck and have to do with geographic location. So, Canada has one neighbor, the United States. It's a really good neighbor. As a result, we don't have to worry about our border defenses. Hmm. In fact, because we sit within you know, the security zone of the United States, we can neglect our military entirely, which frees up billions and billions of dollars hmm. every year for, for other um, causes and for the, for the welfare system.
0: So uh, back for a minute to the issue of immigration that we were talking about before. Um, Clearly in the U.S. our policies around immigrants are changing, and that's still in flux. We don't fully know where it's headed. Um, But just thinking about economics here, uh, about creativity and invention, do you think that Canada has been saying to refugees and immigrants who are more in the high-skilled category, if you can't get a visa to come to the U.S., or if you just don't know where immigration policies are headed in the U.S., uh, come to Canada. Like, their loss is our gain.
1: You know, I have to confess, Canada always suffers from, I would argue, from a chronic sense of smugness on some things. <laughs> and and it's getting a little bit more acute these days because mm. we are benefiting from a lot of the policy decisions that are being taken in the United States right now. Um, we are seeing a movement of people, you know, like you like you suggested, well-educated entrepreneurs, business travelers, possible immigrants who are looking at Canada now. Foreign students are now looking at Canadian universities much more enthusiastically than they have in the past.
0: And and do you see? I, I wonder if you hear from CEOs from the tech community, um, uh, uh, just sort of anecdotally about you know, more people being sent to Vancouver because, look, they're, it's, you know, in the same time zone as a lot of American cities, um, uh, you know, on the the West Coast or Toronto or wherever it is, because you can work there, you can Skype with um, your colleagues in the U.S., and maybe you don't have to go through the kind of, you know, red tape.
1: Absolutely. It's not just anecdotal. Uh, the, the numbers back it up. Um, it's becoming part of the corporate strategy in Canada to take advantage of the proximity to the United States, our close economic integration, but at the same time, the ease of doing business here. So it's easier to fly into Canada. It's easier to pass through Canadian customs uh, for on a business visa than it is in the United States. Um, anecdotally, there aren't the hassles that we're now seeing going into, the United, into the, across the U.S. border. Um, so it, it, it is absolutely part of Canada's strategy and not just the high tech sector and things like the movie industry as well mm. is now uh, growing rapidly in both Toronto and Vancouver because of these issues.
0: Does our uh, 2016 election factor into your thinking on this or is the, this issue of the American dream maybe migrating north, is that something that is occurring on a much longer, bigger timescale?
1: Well, it, it was the election that... that provoked me into thinking about this and into looking into the numbers. And and because of that, I discovered that home ownership is higher in Canada. Education rates are higher. The the cost of education are lower. Life expectancies are longer. Vacation time is longer in Canada. And it goes on and on and on. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is much easier achieved objectively now in Canada the United States. But those numbers did not change on the day of the election. Some of these represent trends that go back 40, 50, 60 years. And so I think the United States has done a very, very good job of marketing the American dream, much more so than Canada has in in even coining the phrase, the Canadian dream. Um, But now that there are such stark differences on the political landscape, and not just between Washington and Ottawa, between Washington and all of its allies. we're looking at those things a little more closely, and we're beginning to question some of our assumptions about what it's like to live in the United States.
0: Scott Gilmore is a former Canadian diplomat. He's a columnist from Maclean's and author of the essay, The American Dream Has Moved to Canada. Scott, thank you so much. Kara, my pleasure. Scott mentioned some stats that may not make the US look so great up against Canada. One of the ones he talked about is lifespan. People in Canada live a little bit more than two years longer on average than people in the US. Another stat is about getting a college degree. 57% of young adults in Canada have gotten a college degree. In the US, the number is 14 percentage points lower, 43%. We've got Scott's article, The American Dream Has Moved to Canada, and more data pitting Canada against the U.S. on our website, innovationhub.org.